Welcome to episode 280 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anne, Karen, Debbie, and Mary. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anne, Karen, Debbie, and Mary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like, leave the rest. We hope that you find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me today is Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. And today, take a little bit of a left turn. We're going to talk about another Anon program, and I will let Brian introduce himself and the program. Hi, my name is Brian. I identify myself as a reluctantly grateful member of Essanon. Essanon is a, I would say, a cousin maybe to Al-Anon that I would imagine most of you guys are more familiar with. And I just was going to introduce myself Briefly, tell you a story of how I got here, how I became a listener and a fan of The Recovery Show. It was just a little over three years ago. I had discovered that there was infidelity in my marriage. This was not a single event. This was a pattern of events. It uh, ended up kind of following the, uh, the model and the nature of addiction took me about eight months of trying to do everything myself to try to fix the problem, making sure that my wife was doing all the things that I thought she should be doing, dealing with our kids. Uh, We had a three-year-old and a newborn at the time. Mm. Life was really hard for about eight months. I was seeing a counselor, trying to get the support where I could from friends and family, kept seeking and looking for somebody that could relate to where I was. And I felt really, really alone. Um, We had found another podcast that was kind of a a marriage therapy kind of podcast. And one of the episodes in that mentioned something about, you know, if this has happened more than once, there might be an addictive component to it. And then I had... I asked my wife to go see a CSAT, which is a certified sex addiction therapist, to have an assessment done to see if this was a sexual addiction issue. By her doing that, I finally made the click of, wait, I know in AA there's Al-Anon. I wonder if there is anything for partners of people with sexual addiction. And that is how I found Essanon which is exactly that. It is a program very similar to Al-Anon that is dealing with, instead of alcohol, it is dealing with a sexual addiction. I think you have a reading that introduces Al-Anon. Yes, and let me, let me have the program speak for itself on this one. This is the Al-Anon problem. Al-Anon members have much in common with friends and family members of other addicted people. Most of us grew up in families with secrets, and we were not taught to think about our own needs and take positive action to meet them. 
As we grew up, we felt more and more lonely and isolated as we chose friends and partners who could not or would not love and support us in a healthy way. We lived life from the standpoint of victims and perceived any personal criticism as a threat. For most of us, anger and depression were a way of life. We were so afraid of being left alone that anxiety and frustration were nearly constant. Whether or not we were exposed to sexaholism as children, most of us think that we acquired some unhealthy beliefs about ourselves very early in our lives, that we were not worthwhile and lovable, that we were able to control other people's behavior, and that sex was the most important sign of love. What is different is that we have felt the additional shame of being involved with the sexaholism of a family member or friend. It does not matter a great deal whether that person was a member of our birth family, a partner, spouse, child, or someone outside the family, like a friend, teacher, or boss. It does not matter if we were willing, unwilling, or unknowing participants in the relationship. Sexaholism deeply affected our lives. Our self-esteem dropped to lower and lower levels, and we doubted our attractiveness, our emotions, our sanity, and our human worth. We felt betrayed by those we loved the most, and those of us who didn't know about the sexaholic behavior felt even more humiliated and stupid for not knowing. Many of us were sexually abused, exposed to sexually transmitted diseases, and otherwise placed in physical danger. We were often afraid to trust others and reach out for help because we were afraid of what they would think of us or of the sexaholic. Some of us reacted to sexaholism by denying its existence or minimizing its importance. We stuffed our feelings of anger and abandonment to the point that we felt emotionally numb. We told ourselves things like, everyone does this, this shouldn't bother me, or even... It can't be true. He or she would never do that. Others focused on the sexaholic and the sexual behavior to the point of obsession. We tried every known method to control it. We lied, covered up, spied at doorways, listened to private conversations, checked up on the sexaholic's whereabouts, read through journals and personal papers, begged, pleaded, and threatened. Some of us participated in sexual behavior that we did not enjoy or made us ashamed of ourselves. Many of us tried to use sex to manipulate the sexaholic, thinking that being part of the acting out would give us a little more control over our lives. Most of us felt that we must have done something to deserve this kind of treatment, and that happiness was for others, not for us. Some of us misused drugs, alcohol, or food to numb the pain. Others used activities such as shopping, exercising, or working to keep from feeling our emotions. We often neglected our health, our jobs, and our children. No matter how we struggled, Against it, deny it, or minimize its effects, the failure of our efforts to cope with sexaholism brought us to the point of despair. This is what we mean when we say in the first step, our lives have become unmanageable. That is the basis of why Essanon exists and who it serves. As you were reading that, as I was reading along with you, I found a lot of parallels to the way that alcoholism affected my life and my behavior, you know, denial going along, you know, well, if she's going to drink, I'm going to drink too. Or maybe if I drink with her, she won't drink so much or, you know, just a lot of things that, that in the words, they felt similar, right? Mm -hmm. Steps, you have the steps and I'm wondering how different they are. Are they different anywhere than maybe the first step? First, let me say, I am not a member of Al-Anon. Sure, okay. My experience with Al-Anon is Al-Anon literature, because for us, 
all Al-Anon literature is Cal for Essanon. Okay. So we use a lot of Al-Anon literature. From reading, you know, The Daily Reader's Courage to Change, is one that I've, I've read a lot. I think you can substitute sex addiction for alcohol or sexaholism for alcoholism, and they're pretty close to the same from that point. Yep. So I, I, I found the 12 steps of Essanana online, which I should have looked up earlier, I suppose. And the first step, the, we admitted we were powerless over sexaholism, that our lives had become unmanageable. And as far as I can tell, the rest of the steps are exactly the same, which makes sense. Because when I look at the comparison between, say, the Al-Anon and the AA steps, our first step is the same because it's alcohol. Uh, we change a word in the last step where we say carry the message to others, whereas the AA steps says carry the message to alcoholics. Your 12th step says carry the message to others. So it really looks like, yeah, they're basically the same. It's just the focus. My question here is how how is it similar and different to Al-Anon? You're not in Al-Anon, so you don't know that. So maybe take us through your experience. And, uh, and you know, if I'm in Al-Anon, you're in Essanon, somebody listening maybe in Naranon, I bet we'll see a lot of similarities and some differences in our experience. Sure. So my experience, I came in, like I said earlier, uh, I was eight months of trying to fix the problem Mm -hmm. on my own. And uh, I think that might uh, identify with everybody who's in a non-program. Yeah. (laughs) Months, years, decades sometimes. Right. Once I went to that first meeting, it was the first time I felt like I had found my people that I was in a room with people that understood I didn't have to explain everything. And there was just that level of commonality. Mm-hmm. My home meeting or the meeting that became my home meeting, I should say is not a large meeting. Um, so it was one that I kind of jumped into service pretty quick. I think I was, had led my first meeting about five or six weeks in hmm. when you only have five to five to eight people that are coming to a meeting regularly, everybody needs to pitch in and help. So I just kind of did that. And that is, that is one of my character assets and character defects that I learned along the path. Um, I dove into step work fairly quickly, found a sponsor because I couldn't keep going how I was going. I was suicidal. I was rageful. I was disengaged. I would just sit for hours just staring at nothing because I was in my head and completely detached from my body and reality. I couldn't function. There were always thoughts of what, what she doing? What has she done to me? I'm the victim of this. How did I deserve this? I wasn't good enough. I wasn't able to make her happy. I was, this was, you know, my fault then through program, I learned the three C's and it's like, okay, I can understand that. And as, as I started working the steps, I found a definition of a higher power that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I had never really done in my life was have to sit down and put something on a piece of paper of what a higher power is to me. That was helpful for me. I was plugging along program wise And then uh, it was probably about six months into program, I went to my first regional retreat. 
And that was super transformative for me. For one, it was the first time I'd ever met another male in program, which was helpful just to have, you know, that sense of not being alone. Yeah. It's one thing to be in a room full of people who are dealing with betrayal of a spouse or not necessarily a spouse, but any, any friends or family. You know, there's people in program that are parents or siblings or unfortunately victims of sexual abuse. It's not always just for marriage or partner relationships. It was nice to have that male connection. Mm-hmm. And at that retreat, there were lots, it was not hosted by my local area. Um, we kind of switched off with a few of the cities around every other year of doing these regional retreats. But a lot of the people from my local area were there and some of them were speaking and some of them were involved. Talking with people throughout the weekend, they were saying how great these pe- people are that were speaking and you know how there's some really good recovery and things like that. And I started thinking to myself, I am squandering all these resources right in front of me because I'm kind of, I'm working it, but I'm not committed working it. You know, I'd done, I was at uh, step four, kind of stuck in that step four valley, Mm -hmm. um, as I like to refer to it, of being halfway through it and really struggling. I started doing step four the way the, the big book describes it. And I was really good at taking everybody else's inventories and coming up with a big list of things that I'm more resentful about. And then it was suggested to switch to the blueprints for progress. And man, was that a thorough, thorough inventory. Yeah, <laughs> Been there. Yeah. I think it took me, probably took me eight or nine weeks and it ended up being 75 pages typed. Wow. It was a very thorough inventory, but so very helpful. And then I was just kind of, I set a goal. And by the end of that year, I wanted to get through the steps. So I just kept plugging, plugging along. I do have the advantage of being younger, that talking with some other program friends, realizing when you get to step nine and making amends. I think the longer you have lived, the longer and harder that that step is. Fortunately, because I am under 40, my list was 20 years shorter than some people that I know. Mm-hmm. And that helped me just get through that. The whole time I've been super involved with service. Like I said, I, I do service for my home meeting. I do service at the intergroup level. I've been part of committees that put on regional retreats. And right now I'm in the middle of trying to put on the Essanon International Convention um, that's going to happen in July. So I'm really involved with service because I need these events. I need this program and the work has to get done and I want to be involved in it. Yeah. I see that, uh, I found the SNN website, which I'm sure I could have found it if I'd looked for it earlier. Serenity in Seattle 2019, huh? Yes. And and I'll plug out the SNN website is SNN.org, no dashes or anything. Yeah, I will put that link in the in the show notes at the recovery.show slash two hundred and eighty. So I'm looking at meeting locations in my area and 
in a nearby town, it looks like there are two because there's two separate email addresses. One has Monday in it and one has Thursday in it. I know I've heard from some people that it's difficult to find Al-Anon meetings. It looks like it's probably even harder to find Essanon meetings. Obviously, you found one. But yes, <laughs> I, I did find one. I am uh, I'm fortunate in my area that there are a fair amount of meetings. We have a me- at least one meeting every day except Friday and Sundays. There's multiple meetings in a, the geographical area, you know, within 50 miles of each other. There's some nights there's more than one meeting. Uh, so we are fortunate in this area. Yeah. Um, there are other areas of the country where it's very hard to find meetings. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the Michigan state listing and it lists seven cities. Mm-hmm. Four of them are in the greater Detroit area. So there are three cities that are somewhere else in the state that that have meetings. And that's not a lot. <laughs> it right. really isn't. I'm maybe getting a little off the, the track of your story here, but I wonder, have you availed yourself of online meetings at all? I have not attended any online meetings. I know there are online meetings and phone meetings. So they are out there and they're fairly well attended from what I've seen. I've heard not from people. I've, I've not checked it out myself. There also is a closed Facebook group, apparently. Mm. But I'm not a uh, not a social media person anymore, so uh, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, so I kind of stopped you at, in in the middle of your experience. Is there is there more to tell? Sure, I can expand a little more. Yeah. As, how has it changed me as a person through my experience? I don't think there's an area of my life that has been untouched by the changes of working this program. I am for the first time in almost 20 years, I have a real relationship with my wife. You know, it was at a time when in hindsight, I realized this is when the acting out was happening. We were pretty much roommates that would sleep in the same bed and ships passing in the night kind of thing. And never really had real conversations, real connection. Um, Now that we are both working our respective programs, that is absolutely not the case. We've pretty much given up TV because it was a distraction that kept us from connecting. You know, we could feel connected because we sat next to each other for two hours while we didn't pay attention to each other. Um, And we just didn't want to do that anymore. Not to mention when you've got small kids, you know, having that connection with them. Uh, We wanted to be the parents that we didn't have. Neither one of us came from, you know, awful situations growing up, but we obviously, there were things that we didn't learn that got us into these programs. And we want to try to do differently for our kids. Mm-hmm. And that that's changed dramatically. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, had a newborn when I found out about this, my daughter was four days old when I oh, discovered what was going on. Wow. <clears throat> and, and and just sort of thinking about the state that that I was in when my kids were that age to have this other thing just dumped on top of you 
for that to become apparent, just like the stress must have been just horrendous. It, It was, I guess, to my benefit, I don't know what was parenting of second child stress versus this other stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it is my story, so I don't know any different. Right, right. yes. Um, but I will tell you, without a doubt, that was all a higher power plan. I didn't think that at the time. I thought it was, you know, this is horrible. This kid's childhood is destroyed. How could anything ever be? I'm going to be a single parent that has custody of two kids. As a newborn, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pay the bills? All that future catastrophizing. Oh, yeah. That w- I was ruminating on that stuff a lot and did for probably the first year. Yeah, that, that sounds very similar to the catastrophizing that went on in my head. Yeah. You know, you said that, that you're both working a recovery program at this point when you came into SNON. Did your wife go into a, a, a recovery at the same time or did, did, because one of the things that I hear from people, you know, people write in, they're saying, I'm in this, I'm in this relationship and it's not just addiction going on. There's also infidelity going on and I don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I guess there's sort of, and, and I'm projecting to you. So tell me, tell me when I'm wrong here, but that, you know, there's sort of two parts there. One is, if it's still going on, how do you deal with it? And the second is, is it different when it's when the behavior is stopped, but you're still dealing with the effects that it had on you? Yes, I can tell you from my experience, I was fortunate that my wife was not acting out currently. Uh-huh. She had been inappropriately emotionally involved with a few people kind of in a, in a present continuum, but she had been essentially dry drunk stage for three years. Ah. So she was white knuckling it for a long time. And so for you, this eight months before you found the program, you were dealing with the emotional impact of what had happened. Is that a correct statement? That, that is a correct statement. I was, you know, the, the denial got shattered because um, looking back, I can see there was definitely some denial that was masking it as well. Of course there was. <laughs> but there were, there were no secrets and, and anything out there. And it was just dealing with what I have now learned the term for, the clinical term for is betrayal trauma. Okay. Which is very much like PTSD. Very, very much can be flashbacks, can be triggering there are still times where I can see a vehicle similar to one of the people that she was acting out with had, mm. and it will trigger me. Mm. Um, you know, there's things that just come up. Even this, you know, I'm three years out, and even now things will randomly pop into my head. And you know what? They're triggers, but I can choose not to engage with them. I've got the tools that I can identify, yes, this is a thought. I am powerless against this thought, and I can move on to something else. Yeah. You said when you went to your first convention, you met the first other man in the program. Just for myself, I would feel 
difficult in talking about the situation with women. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, under, I'm trying to think how that would feel to me and, and how that would feel to me, particularly early in, in recovery. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, I, my whole life, I have been very comfortable around women and I've, I guess, fortunate for the situation that I was thrust into that I'm okay with being the only guy in a sometimes large group of women and being comfortable in that situation. Uh, I think a lot of it also had to do with, I was so emotionally raw. I really didn't care. I needed help. And I think that helped get me over that hump as well. Mm, that makes sense. It, it's to a point now, one of the, meetings that we try to always do at regionals um, is one that's on intimacy and healthy sexuality mm -hmm. because it's the elephant in the room. We're yeah. generally all there because of someone's sexual something, but nobody ever wants to talk about that. And I'm the person that usually always ends up leading that. And there has been another guy in the room sometimes. And sometimes it's just me and 30 women and talking about intimacy and what it's like to try to have a relationship physical or just actual intimacy that has nothing to do with sexual physical contact. Right. Just that vul that vulnerability and having a frank conversation about it. So I'm kind of an outlier on that one, I think, because mm -hmm. I've spoken with guys. I have a couple of sponsees that are guys in other parts of the country, and it can be challenging. And I, I feel for people because it is not easy to find men in uh, Essanon with, I will give a shout out, unless you're in Nashville, because apparently they even have a men's meeting that happens like once a month in Nashville, which I think is amazing. Hmm. They've got a group of guys there. You know, it, it is, it's rough. It's real. It can be really rough. We also in, certainly in, in Illinois, I mean, we talk about stuff that is not directly related to particularly, you know, when we're talking about maybe the later steps or whatever stuff that's not directly related to the problem that brought us to the program in the first place. Mm -hmm. and, and feels like that probably is, would be a similar kind of thing in an Essanon meeting that yes. where there's no, there's no real gender issue there. Correct. Yeah. There is, there is very little gender specifics of Essanon and nobody, I have never heard anybody ever talking about anything that, someone who has been in this situation wouldn't understand dependent upon gender. Right. I mean, I guess you're talking about your feelings, right? Exactly. We're talking about our feelings. We're not, we're not talking about things that would be inappropriate. There's no, you know, nuts and bolts of details, conversations that happen as far as intimacy or sexuality goes. We're talking about our feelings. We're talking about coping with the disease that we're affected by. Right. Um, sure. And how how we can focus on ourselves to work, make ourselves better, regardless of what the person who has affected us chooses to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, I've gotten a few letters from people, and words like betrayal are said. And I guess you know, I don't feel betrayed by my wife's alcoholism, 
And I think I would feel very differently if it was sex. And that probably is one of the reasons there's an S on because, you know, the feelings, the, the, the particular emotions, maybe the particular coping mechanisms are different, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think even beyond sex, I think there is a subtle but distinct difference between substance addictions and process addictions. Mm -hmm. Um, being, you know, you have alcohol, drugs, whatever, there is a tangible something that you can put the energy on and the addiction. Right. When you get to be at sex, gambling, work, any of the process type addictions, Mm. it's all in your head and there is no tangible anything. Someone can be a sex addict and have never physically touched another person. Hmm. You know, this is beyond just infidelity and betrayal. We're talking pornography addictions and all of those things fit under this umbrella. And they're all equally destructive to the person affected by it. You know, it, it can be tough to have that kind of scorecard sort of mentality. Oh, this person's, you know, spouse cheated on them. Therefore, they've got more trauma than somebody whose spouse was looking at online porn. Like, no, that's one thing the program emphasizes. Everybody's trauma is their trauma, and there is no nothing is greater or more severe. It's everybody's story. Mm-hmm. You said you said I, I hadn't heard that term process addictions before, but that's I, I like that because, and I was thinking about well, okay, so workaholic. You know, my loved one is spending all their time at work. Is that, I mean, that feels emotionally different from my loved one is spending all this time with another person, but is it really? Huh. I don't know. Um, and, and, and I can see that and how, how it separates it from this sort of still tricky for many of us to think about issue of sex. And, and as you say, it may not be physical sex at all, which I hadn't, I also hadn't thought about. I'm, I'm getting very enlightened here in this conversation. I want to thank you for, for putting yourself forward. Absolutely. To, to share with us. Do you use, I I assume you do from what you said, you use the principles of your program in stuff outside of the reason that, that you came in the first place. True. True. I use principles of my program pretty much everywhere in my life now because it's worked. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people that is super skeptical of anything (laughs) until I can see results. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm not angry. I'm not suicidal. I'm still here. I don't go for walks not knowing if I'm going to go home. And that's all because of program. Mm -hmm. If it worked in that severe of an environment, Hey, why can't it work with parenting? Why can't it work when I'm trying to get my kids to do something? Oh, wait, I'm completely powerless over them. They are their own human beings. I'm trying to control them. They're not doing what I expect them to do. The thing I need to do is look at myself. What can I do to change the situation without trying to rely solely on them changing to bend to my will? With work, I run my own business my ability to negotiate is way better now in program than it used to be because I have found that I have self-worth. And when you have more self-worth, you don't have such hesitations asking for things that you think might be a big ask. Right. You know, simple things, just like uh, one of my activities, I ride dirt bikes and mountain bikes. 
my writing has gotten better because I'm not thinking about all the other stuff. I'm present. I'm realizing this is my rare self-care time. You know, I have a higher power. I don't have to be paranoid about ever getting hurt or something happening. I can just relax and enjoy what I'm doing. I'm present, way more present than I used to be. Every part of my life is better because of these 12 steps. Yeah. Found that myself as well in in, in the Elanon program. And you know, we talk about that a lot here on the podcast about not only how the program has and is helping us to live with or without our loved ones who are, you know, in the grips of an addiction. And in our case, we're mostly talking about substance. And we also talk about how we use this in, in, in our whole lives. And so why should that be any different, really, right? Absolutely. I see there's also S a teen. There is. And that is for anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 or 19 that is affected by someone else's you know, sexual addiction. It's generally is for children that have a parent or two um, in program. Mm-hmm. Part of it was created because Essanon meetings are not necessarily always open to minors because of the subject matter. Right. Yeah. Some meetings, there's a debate about bringing children at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think most people don't have a problem with babies unless they're crying. Um, but when the right. kids get to an age where maybe they're actually hearing what's going on, it's like, do I have to censor what I say because there's a six-year-old in the room? Mm-hmm. I think that feels like that would be one of those places where the difference in the subject matter makes that particular issue more severe. Absolutely. And I, I do believe it is a there are no children kind of from a – world service office kind of leveled down. There's, I should say, I don't know, expectation. I don't know what the right word is because it's program and there's not necessarily rules and all the groups are autonomous, but there's kind of an understanding that it is not a place that children are allowed and we can get, connect them with Essateen if need be. That said, there really isn't anything in a meeting that would, be inappropriate for teens. You know, if they were an S a teen, I don't know exactly what the the rules are on that, but generally these meetings are for adults, but there is that program for the teens. Yeah. And there are probably even fewer of those meetings. They have a big (laughs) teens being what they are. I think they have a big online presence for those. Oh, sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And there are, there are lots of S a teen sponsors, involved with all of those as well. So I would imagine that's somewhat similar to Al-Anon and Alateen. Sure. Yeah. Getting back to the, the online meetings and I bet I'm sure there's links like from the S Anon website to find online meetings. I am, I don't know if you'd call it a member I'm registered at um, recovery website that sort of like, I think they were trying to be sort of a recovery Facebook, or except it's nowhere near as fancy as Facebook, but they do have a set of online video meetings, and I get emails about them, and and at least at least once a week, I think I see a, an announcement of an Essanon meeting. So they are out there. 
you know, if you're listening, you're identifying with, with what Brian is saying here and, and you go to snon.org, you click on find a meaning and you find that there's, you know, nothing within a hundred miles, which I think is entirely possible. It's certainly possible in Michigan. Maybe do look for, for an online meeting somewhere or a phone meeting. I have participated in that particular website's online Al-Anon meetings a few times, and they have an option to do video or not do video. And uh, a lot of people elect not to. Uh, you know, you're just a voice. Even though it's a video meeting, you don't have to be seen to be present. You know, that's sometimes that's an important question. I do know from the WSO side of thing at Essanon, they are very cognizant of what they call lone members, which would be somebody that doesn't have meetings close by. And I do believe there is a committee at the national level that kind of tries to be a clearinghouse and connects those people with other members of the program so they can make some personal connections. It is something that as a whole, the organization is aware of and they're trying to do something. That's great. That is absolutely great. Do you have anything else you want to share? You know, what maybe what you would say to somebody who is struggling with this problem, but not sure that they, you know, want to go to a meeting, want to not want to expose themselves emotionally to uh, to a, a room full of strangers. You know, we had a had a newcomer in a meeting, an Al-Anon meeting recently, who said, uh, "I'm glad I'm here. I'm not ready to talk about why I'm here." You know, so uh, that happens, right? That that absolutely happens. You know, there are some times where it'll be a person will come to five or six meetings and ball through them until they're comfortable enough to be able to talk. You know, it coming through the door is an act of courage. And it absolutely is. It is a scary thing to do. Um, I remember the first time I walked in that meeting and had no clue what I was getting into. Hadn't ever really been to a 12-step meeting, but like, I got nothing to lose. I'm going. Biggest thing that I can say to somebody, first and foremost, be safe. If your physical safety is at risk, take care of that and remove yourself from the situation that you're in and find some help. You know, everything, what's said in a meeting stays in a meeting. Anonymity is very, very important. Taken from everyone that I've known, taken very, very seriously. That's good. Yeah, I'm looking at the um, the Essanon 12 Traditions, which, again, very similar to the Al-Anon 12 Traditions, replacing alcoholic with sexaholic. And uh, in Tradition 11, which is about publicity or public relations, it says we need guard with special care, the anonymity of all SNON and SA members. And I think that Al-Anon one just says we need guard with special care, the anonymity of all AA members. So you, you, your tradition goes another step further and say, everybody, special care, special care, not just ordinary anonymity. And I think that's good because if I was hesitating coming into a meeting and I hesitated coming into my first Al-Anon meeting, and I think it was my second meeting, there was a woman there who worked at my kid's school. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, oh my God, she's going to know. Didn't even occur to me. It was my second meeting. I give myself a little slack here. Didn't even occur to me why she was there. Right. Right. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, the, these thoughts happen, and, and anything that we can do to help people who are considering coming into a, an Anon program, when they're new in an Anon program, to, to help people feel safe, feel welcome, really important. Yeah, I can't help but think we're only as sick as our secrets. Right, but there are some secrets we keep because they're they're healthy secrets. Who not to talk about? <laughs> what not to talk about? And it's hard sometimes, right? I mean, I hear something in a meeting um, and I want to share it and I have to be very careful about how I share it. Yes. I remember once... I was part of a small group we were meeting to study the steps and and I said something about something somebody had said in a meeting and another member of the group said, from what you said, I know who was saying that and I don't feel comfortable knowing that. I was like, oh, okay. Looking back, there's some gratitude for getting that insight. I think at the moment, of course, I wasn't feeling grateful about it, but you know, that's that's how we grow. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brian. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. I asked you to pick out some music, and you did. Okay. Uh, my first song, which is one that's currently coming through the radio occasionally, um, by one of my favorite artists that started out her career locally, uh, still lives locally. The artist is Brandy Carlisle, and the song is every time I hear that song. And here it goes. A love song was playing on the radio. It made me kind of sad because it made me think of you. And I wonder how you're doing, but I wish I didn't care because I gave you all I had and got the worst of you. By the way, I forgive you. After all, maybe I should thank you for giving me what I have found because without you around, I've been doing just fine, except for every time I hear that song. Didn't it break your heart when you watched my smile fade? Did it ever cross your mind that one day the tables would be turned? They told me the best revenge would be a life well lived, and the strongest one that holds would be the hardest one to earn. The first time I heard that chorus on the radio, it brought me to tears because as I introduced myself at the beginning of the show, I said, I'm a reluctantly grateful member of Essanon. Right. I never, ever thought I would be here. I never wanted to be here. I did not want this to affect my life in any way, shape or form, but it brought me through this journey that I, without knowing desperately needed um, it was a big enough crisis in my life that got me to completely change my life and pretty much every facet of my life and most every relationship in my life. There are very few things that have ever happened to me that have been a complete life change. And it needed to change. I was on a one-way trip to nowhere. I love that line. By the way, I forgive you. After mm -hmm. all, maybe I should thank you. Because that's really, truly what I feel. I am grateful to be here today. So that's why I love that song. It's a beautiful song. Hey, 
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings or our lives this week. And I'm thinking back over the week, and and the main, (laughs) for me, the main feature of the week is ice. We had an ice storm followed by a snowstorm followed by warm and rain followed by more cold. And so a good part of my driveway has about an inch of ice on it, except where I put down 100 pounds of salt so I could chip away some ice to make a path we could walk safely to the car and so on. So that's kind of like, when I think back over the week, it's like ice. Okay, going to work is ice. At home, it's ice. All right, so enough on that. It, that's all about acceptance and, and doing the things that we can and, and not bitching about the things that we can't, at least not too much. But what I, what I thought about um, when I was thinking about what I want to say today about recovery this week was my meeting yesterday, we were talking about the second tradition. And the second tradition actually, I think, is just the same for both programs. It says, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And I picked out a couple of readings from the Al-Anon book, uh, what's it called? Reaching for Personal Freedom, which focuses on the steps traditions and concepts of service from a more personal perspective about how they work in our lives. And that really helps me to like internalize some of the the things from there. And, and the reading talked about basically respecting other people's letting people, uh, letting other people talk and respecting what they say, even if I disagree. And I reflected back over, I think it was just the day before where at work we had, uh, I and a couple of other people had put together a plan for the next phase of our work, and we were presenting it to our whole team, so which is about 10 people. One person said, well, had you thought about doing it this other way? And my first reaction was, well, that's wrong. I, mean, I didn't say that, but that, you know, that's what happens in my head, right? No, we've got this, we've got this plan worked out and we don't, we don't need, you know, we don't need this confusion about this other way to do it. But because because I've been in a program for over a decade and a half, I've actually learned some stuff about working with people that I kind of didn't know before. So we had a discussion about it. You know, the, this person presented their reasons why they thought this would be a better approach, the, the, the approach that they proposed. I countered with the reasons why I thought the way we had proposed it would be better approach. And what I came to see was that it was not that I was right and the other person was wrong or the other person was right and I was wrong, but that we put a different emphasis on the reasons. I understood the reasons they were putting forth for for their proposal and they understood the reasons that I was putting forth for my proposal, but we each felt that you know, reason, I felt reason A was more important than reason B, and they felt reason B was more important than reason A. And and if you do that, you come to those two different conclusions. So that was some clarity. And then, you know, the other part of the tradition says group conscience. And, and it was basically two of us talking with one person chiming in occasionally and everybody else sitting pretty much mute. I said, okay, we disagree. What is the sense of the whole group? 
Like, you know, this is stuff I learned in this program, right? And maybe it seems obvious, but it's not always obvious to me, especially when I get caught up in the I'm writing your wrong kind of emotional thing that can happen. And so I put it to the group and the group pretty much said, okay, well, this, this way is, is, is what we think is the way we want to go with this. And I'm actually not going to tell you whether it was my, my way or the other person's way, because it doesn't matter. You know, is we had a discussion, people got to express their opinions, their thoughts. And then it was like, okay, we got to put it to the group conscience. Like, I'm the leader of the group, but I'm not like the boss of the group, right? And and that comes right back to this tradition. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. I'm the person in the group with the most experience, et cetera, to, to you know, give the benefit of my experience, my deep understanding of the business, because I've been working for the same organization for over 20 years, and my experience with the particular part of the business that, that we're involved in, but I'm not the boss. I'm not the dictator of, of how we're going to do things. I mean, if it comes down to somebody's got to make a decision, I guess I, I could be the decider, but I'd rather not be. Uh, and, and so just that, you know, that whatever it was half hour meeting on Friday just resonated so strongly with me as we were talking about the second tradition in, in our meeting. And that's what happens for me in recovery sometimes, that I'll have an experience and then I'll go to a meeting and something in the meeting will like illuminate that experience more deeply and make me see maybe how I need to do something differently because I'm not, you know, following the the principles that in step 12, I said, I'm going to apply those these principles to all my affairs, or it illuminates how the way that I interact with people, the way that I live my life has changed as a result of a decade and a half of recovery. And so it was, it was in that sense, it was a great meeting. And in, in other senses, it was a great meeting too, because the rest of the sharing around the table was also uh, helpful and, and, uh, and useful. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. How about yourself? Well, my week, I should say two weeks, have gone somewhere to yours. Uh, out here in the Northwest, we got hit by mammoth snow, which we never get. Um, it's pretty rare for us in the Puget Sound area to get you know, two to three inches of snow, and it completely shuts down the whole region. Schools close, highways, 14 hours to get home for a normal 20-minute drive, total chaos. We had 18 inches of snow over the last two weeks. That's a lot, even in places that are used to it. Yeah. So it's been total chaos. And since I'm the one with the more flexible schedule, I was the one staying home with the kids because school was closed. And generally when schools are closed, daycare is closed. Mm-hmm. So we had no childcare. So it was, uh, it was a surrendering moment <laughs> day after day after day because I wasn't getting anything done that I needed to get done or thought or maybe expected that I would be getting done. And I got to spend some time with my kids, which is a gift. I love my kids. It's also a challenge yeah, because um, they're young, you know, they're three and five. So it is, it is hard work. It is not, uh, they're not quite autonomous yet. And the last two meetings that I've been to, I've been the only one there because of the snow. Mm. Um, I've 
you know, it's my home meeting. I've made a commitment to be there and I've got the ability to get there. So I was there. I haven't had a whole lot of insight from other people at my meetings over the last week. I'm really looking forward to this week because things should be getting back to normal. But I have been, you know, one of my favorite readings in all our, our literature is from the, the big book, because that's also Cal for us, um, page 417 on acceptance. And I mm-hmm. always have to remember that I can be upset with something, someone, something, and the only thing that I can do is change within myself to make it acceptable. And I always add to that very last line, and I don't have to like it. Because rarely do I ever like it when I am looking at that and uh, realizing that this is the situation that has been presented to me and I can't change anything about it but my attitude. Uh, So I've been doing a lot of that over the last two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you do when you're the only person at a meeting? Um, Uh, Yeah, I did. I've been doing a tradition study with a friend and I took the time to do that. So I went through the, uh, oh, what is it? The green book, the pathways to personal freedom. Yeah. Been doing a tradition study out of that. So I took that, that study time since I hadn't had any downtime at at the house with the kids there. Right. And just made it some self care time and kind of hoped that somebody else would be walking through the door. Right. Um, But the important part is I was there in case somebody else showed up. I think I've been in, in, almost 17 years I've been at one meeting where I was the only person. It was a Christmas day meeting, Christmas evening, I suppose I should say. This was a meeting where there was an AA meeting, Al-Anon meeting at the same time in different rooms in the basement of a church building. I was sitting by myself in the room and I probably had some literature with me that I could read and and one of the AAs, there were like three AAs there. One of them stuck their, their head in and said, hey, you want to join us? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sure. You know, what are we talking about? Like step 11. Okay, I can talk about step 11. No problem, right? And then a couple other Elanons showed up. And so then we we split out again. And, and you know, there were three of us and three of them. <laughs> I was like, but yeah, that's the only time and and that I've ever had that experience. So upcoming topics, I, I'm continuing to uh, push the uh, topic that Sharon suggested a couple weeks ago of acronyms and alliterations. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, we have all these acronyms like HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired, Q-Tip, Quit Taking It Personally. We have these alliterations, the three C's, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, I can't cure it, the three A's, Awareness, Acceptance, and Action. And so I'm asking you, if you're listening and you have a favorite acronym or alliteration to, uh, to let us know, you know, send an email, drop a voicemail, um, and let us know what yours is and why, because, uh, I want to put together an episode with as many acronyms and alliterations, which, you know, that's like A's and A's, right. Um, as I can and, and lots of different voices and what's important to you. It helps to broaden the conversation. It helps to make it, you know, I think reach more people. So, uh, Brian, how can people do that? You can leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now on 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email 
to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about the topics of SNON or any of our upcoming topics, including acronyms and alliterations. If you have a topic that you'd like to talk about, let us know. And uh, all the information about the show is on our website, therecovery.show, which includes notes for each episode. So the notes for today's episode will be at therecovery.show slash 280 slash 280. And I will have in there a link to the Essanon website. Also videos for the music that uh, Brian chose for us for this episode. We'll take a little break before we look at your feedback, your mail. And what's the second song you picked? The second song is from the Avid Brothers album that came out a couple years ago. And the title of the song is Ain't No Man. Uh, I think it'll be pretty obvious why I find it so connecting to uh, recovery. There ain't no man can save me. There ain't no man can enslave me. Ain't no man or men that can change the shape my soul is in. There ain't nobody here who can cause me pain or raise my fear. Because I got only love to share. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there. You got to serve something. Ain't that right? I know it's dark, but there's always light. You don't have to buy in to get into the club. Trade your worries. You got to show up if you want to be seen. If it matters to you, Ma, it matters to me. That right there for me, that is steps one, two, three. You know, I, I love how you don't have to buy in to get into the club. You know, I love the fact that you, this is a spiritual program and it doesn't matter what religious backgrounds, faiths, beliefs, anything. It doesn't matter. All you got to do is say, I'm willing to consider that there is something bigger than myself in the universe that can help me. We've got a couple of letters, well, a letter and a voicemail this, this week. Barb wrote with thanks, Dear Spencer, I'm writing to thank you for episode 203. I have recently returned to Al-Anon after a hiatus of 14 years. I never knew that ACA was another option for me as an adult child of an alcoholic, but Emily's contributions to this episode were so enlightening to me. Because of her and because of your service, I just found an ACA meeting in my area later this week. Al-Anon has been helpful to me, but I always felt a bit disconnected to some of the readings since I am not married to an alcoholic and the shares in my local Al-Anon meeting are not as applicable to me. When I first entered Al-Anon, online resources weren't as plentiful as they are now. Your podcast is a complete game changer. Thank you for spreading the word about the available resources and what is possible for those of us in recovery. I hope you have a great rest of your week with gratitude, Barb. And thanks for writing, Barb. And episode 203, I think it's clear from Barb's letter, but that was my conversation with Emily about the adult children of alcoholics, which is in different parts of the country labeled ACA or ACOA, um, about that program, which is another 12-step program that actually split off of Al-Anon, I think, in the 60s, if I remember the history correctly, to really focus on the issues that 
uh, people who grew up in an alcoholic home um, have that are similar to and different from the more general Al-Anon program. There's a couple pieces of Al-Anon literature, just while I'm thinking about this, that are focused on the adult child issues, if you will. One of those is the book From Survival to Recovery, uh, which is is a great book for, for everybody, but does focus on the, the issues that people who grew up in alcoholic homes might find. And the other is uh, the daily reader called Hope for Today, which most of the readings are about, again, how we bring the things that happened in our childhood into our, our, our adult lives and how we can use the, the 12 steps to, uh, to address them. So I feel like, you know, we try in Al-Anon to, to address all of the different relationships that people have with, you know, alcoholic loved ones, but there are also sometimes needs for, you know, a focus that is, is clearer, I think. And that's what ACA provides in this case. And we got a voicemail from Anna. Hi, Spencer. This is Anna. I'm a member of Al-Anon, and I just listened to your episode, Do You Like Yourself, episode 279. And I was really struck by one of the callers whose letter you read at the end of the show about feeling a little bit frustrated with the non-drinking partner he had. And I just wanted to respond, not necessarily with advice, but because it's really, you know, it resonated with me. Uh, I immediately thought of how much Tradition 5 has helped me <clears throat> with my non-drinking, non-recovered family members. And Tradition 5 is each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. So a lot of times I think about whether or not I am welcoming and giving comfort to all the family members of alcoholics, whether they are in the rooms of Al-Anon or not. And it's been a really big challenge and awakening for me to think about treating my non-Al-Anon recovery family members the way I would treat people who I encounter in the rooms by just listening to them, not judging them, not trying to tell them what to do. For me, it's been a really big part of my most recent step and phase in my own recovery and I found that as uh, my recovery has progressed, I feel more and more okay with the alcoholic family members and people I know and really working my program much more intentionally and um, needing to work my program much more intentionally with the non-recovered non-drinkers in my life. Anyway, I hope that um, is helpful for Chris and anyone else listening, and I'm sure other people can relate. Thanks. And and thank you for that observation. I hadn't thought about that tradition, but it that is uh, definitely a way you can uh, you can uh, apply that tradition. So thanks. Any thoughts on what Anna had to say? Ironically, I just did my fifth tradition study on. Uh, 
Wednesday night when I was hoping somebody else would show up to the meeting. <laughs> um, so yes, you know, un- understanding the relatives by working on ourselves and working the same steps. You know, I found a huge amount of compassion for my wife and her struggles when I realized, you know, there's that whole concept that people generally do the best that they can at the time for the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. It came up if this acting out was the best thing that she could have done to cope with the situation that she was in. I don't even want to know what the worst thing would have been. And as soon as that hit me, it's like, you know what? Her life had to have been hell for this to be the best thing that she could have done. Hmm. And as soon as I got to that, I was able to find some compassion. Um, So definitely trying to understand and find that compassion for our relatives that are affected by addiction is, I think, is critical. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Anne, Karen, Debbie, and Mary did. And thank you again. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. And I had an email recently. I get uh, occasionally um, people asking about the smile.amazon. And we are not registered. The recovery show is not registered with smile.amazon. So... You know, if you want to support us through Amazon, you got to go through our website. And we're not because I would have to go through, at least my understanding is I'd have to go through the whole paperwork to like register as an actual nonprofit with the government. And, you know, I'm doing this as a labor of love. I don't need that extra hassle. It's that simple. So if you, if you want to use the Amazon link, uh, totally appreciate it. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine too, because even, Listening is a form of support. Sharing the podcast with your friends is a is a great form of support for the podcast. Just to be clear, we are not an Al-Anon meeting. We are not conference approved. So if you want to tell your friends about it, do it before the meeting, after the meeting, but please don't make announcements in the meeting. Thank you. Just to really um, adhere to our traditions about keeping Al-Anon for Al-Anon or keeping Essanon for Essanon. And Brian, you got uh, another song. I do have another song. I also wanted to do a quick shout out for a Al-Anon book that came out this year that I love. And a lot of people don't know about it. Intimacy in Alcoholic Relationships. A whole book about dealing how to connect emotionally to a person you're in a relationship with an addict. It's an awesome book. Just wanted to throw that out there for listeners. Last song. Uh, It's another Avid Brothers song. True sadness. When I was a child, I depended on a bottle. Full grown, I've been known to lean on a bottle. But you're the real deal in a world of imposters. And I've seen the program make men out of monsters. Because I wake up shaken by dreams, and I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers, and you will find true sadness. Angela became a target as soon as her beauty was seen by a young man who tried to reduce her down to a scene on an X-rated screen. Is she not more than the curves of her hips? 
Is she not more than the shine on her lips? Does she not dream to sing and live and to dance down her own path without being torn apart? Does she not have a heart? Mm. Um, And this song just speaks to me partially because once I heard that line of, I've seen the program make men out of monsters, my whole view of the whole song changed. But it, it really is that everybody, the human condition is to suffer on some level. And we don't get to see what everybody's dealing with. We only get to see the outside of what, what they project out. And if you, you look, commonality of the human race, somebody is tore up on the inside about something. And there's always a place to find common ground. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. And I want to say thank you again to Brian and to the other listener to The Recovery Show who contacted Brian to get him in touch with me to be on the, on the show today. So thanks. <laughs>